Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. I'll tell you something what uh, Biden, really his uh, Sanders Obama Politburo has done today. On the 22nd anniversary of 9-11, when the Islamo-Nazis attacked the United States of America, killed 3,000 of our people, for which we went to war, and lost even more of our men and women. This is the Associated Press from about an hour ago. The Biden administration has cleared the way for the release of five American citizens detained in Iran. Ready? By issuing a blanket waiver for international banks to transfer $6 billion in frozen Iranian money from South Korea to Qatar without fear of U.S. sanctions. In addition, as part of the deal, the administration has agreed to release five Iranian citizens held in the United States. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, he's actually not, yeah, well, signed off on these sanctions waivers late last week, a month after U.S. and Iranian officials said an agreement in principle was in place. Congress was not informed of the waiver decision until Monday, according to the notification which was obtained by the Associated Press. The outlines of the deal had been previously announced and the waiver was expected, but the notification marked the first time the administration said it was releasing five Iranian prisoners as part of the deal. The prisoners have not been named. Why not? Because you don't live in a free country anymore, that's why. Congress is cut out of the deal. The American people are cut out of the deal. The Politburo is ruling. The Sanders-Obama Politburo is in charge. Operating behind the scenes and in the shadows. I don't even think Joe Biden can sign his name anymore. What a... What a pathetic regime we have here. What a pathetic people we've become. Thanks to half the nitwits in this country that vote for this crap. The waiver is likely to draw criticism of Joe Biden from Republicans and others. Notice Republicans and others. Let's stop right there because that's the most accurate things the AP says here. Have you heard from Chuck Schumer about this, New York? No. Gillibrand? No. How about the mayor of New York? Nope. How about the governor of New York? Nope. Not exclusively, but where the most damage was done on 9-11. The governor, the mayor, the two senators say nothing. Zero. Six billion dollars in the hands of the Iranians. They're selling crude oil. Like popcorn in a movie theater. Tens of billions of dollars into their coffers. 
And I want to make this clear, 100% abundantly clear. There will be a war with Iran because of what this administration is doing. Because of what this administration is doing. Not because of Israel, not because of the Gulf Arab states, no. Because of Joe Biden and the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. Just like there's going to be a war over Taiwan or 100% capitulation by the United States, which will result in a war one day, even a bigger war somewhere else. You don't nip this stuff in the bud? Why are we giving $6 billion to the Iranians and all those Trump haters out there? All you moronic Trump haters out there. He had his foot on the throat of that Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. Their economy was collapsing. The people of Iran were rising up. And now, look at this. He didn't like his tweets. Now the Democrat Party wants to bury him alive. Sick. Sick. But that's not all. 9 11. where these terrorists came from Saudi Arabia, most of them. Most of them. Bin Laden's daddy got very, very rich in Saudi Arabia. So what happened today? In a tweet today, National Security Council spokesman Adrian Watson, who the hell's Adrian Watson? Ready? Applauded Saudi Arabia after it committed tens of billions of dollars towards the Partnership for Global Infrastructure. What about our infrastructure? Saudis haven't paid us for that. Look how sick this is. This White House. 9-11 means nothing to them. The Islamo-Nazi regime building nuclear weapons, spreading terrorism, means nothing to them. Saudi Arabia's role in 9-11 means nothing to them. Absolutely nothing. So the White House today comes out and officially thanks the Saudi Arabian government for committing $20 billion to support, ready, President Joe Biden's signature initiative, The Partnership for Global Infrastructure. He really means climate change, you know. The initiative spearheaded by Biden seeks to spur economic growth in low- and middle-income countries with investments in infrastructure. Oh, that'll work. They're going to build highways in the desert where people can't eat, where people can't drink. The way you build prosperity is through what we call capitalism. Completely out of touch, these bastards. And they post this 20 minutes after the first tower fell. 20 minutes after the first tower fell. So Biden from Alaska today, in his name, his Politburo, sent $6 billion to the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran and, and thanks the Saudi Arabian inbred government for $20 billion for his big, big program. Infrastructure in the third world. It's, it's, uh, 
The word amazing doesn't even, doesn't even work anymore. And you will have people defend this to the end. You will have fools defend this to the end. Some of them have PhDs. Some of them are lawyers. Some of them are doctors. Almost all of them are Democrats. The Democrats know that their man is about three steps away from being a vegetable. They know this. But they don't care. Because they hate us and they hate the country. They want that fundamental transformation at any cost, you know, especially yours. So what? Iran gets $6 billion. Okay, well, what do we care? You know, so what? And so what? He, he tips his hat at Saudi Arabia. Big deal. So what? It's 9-11. So what? Mr. Producer, let's go ahead with that statement from the White House about Pearl Harbor. They came up with an excuse. Go ahead. Uh, our focus the last couple of days has been on President Biden here in South Asia. And when I asked a White House official why it is that President Biden was here and missing the 9-11 uh, commemorations at the attack sites, the analogy that I was given is that 22 years after Pearl Harbor, U.S. presidents were not still going to visit Hawaii. That said, the whole point of this trip appeared to be countering China. Everything that we were told ahead of it, uh, they were going to come here to try to counter Chinese influence in the region. But when we finally heard from President Biden, he told us the exact opposite. This trip was about, it was less about containing China. I, I, I don't want to contain China. We're not looking to hurt China, uh, sincerely. We're all better off if China does well. I, I want to see China succeed economically. I don't want to see it succeed by the rules. And the Democrats are thrilled with this man. Their propaganda machine, their demagogues are out there in full force, clicking their heels as they march along. A tremendous accomplishment with this man. Oh, yes. He's unbelievable. There's no match in history. And they start attacking Trump. That's their answer. He doesn't want to contain the communist Chinese, so he doesn't even believe in containment. Then I have a question as somebody who supports Ukraine. Then why are we in Ukraine? We're trying to contain Russia, but not China. You see my point, Mr. Producer? This guy is a mental bowl of applesauce. That's what he is. I gotta watch myself. It's just unbelievable. And well, he wants he wants communist China to succeed. They're stealing us blind. Every piece of technology they have was built on what they stole from us. He's a complete Manchurian president. He's been bought and paid for. Only a Manchurian president who's received, as Peter Schweitzer says, over $30 million that family's received. Mr. Comer's a little short with his $20 million. Over $30 million from the communist Chinese, the Biden crime family. That's why he says what he says. Well, we don't want to contain them. We wish them all the best. And it's great to hear from the great Republican leader in the Senate. 
who every day sounds like Joe Biden and uh, John Fetterman and uh, Dianne Feinstein. The Republicans of the Senate are useless, buffoonish, stupid even. They see what's going on in this country. They can't unite about, around a damn thing. They can't even unite around an ice cream cone. They won't do it. And you got like these four or five in the leadership. You know, it's there. there's McConnell out there at the microphone. And then it looks like they're bringing the pallbearers out. You know, oh, there's Thune. There's uh, Barrasso. There's Cornyn. There's Sleepy. There's Dopey. There they are. Where are they today? Nowhere. Biden should be condemned as administration for be, be condemned. They just handed our enemy $6 billion, for, for God's sakes. They keep threatening to attack us, and we give them $6 billion? Let me tell you something genius about Pearl Harbor. Even Franklin Roosevelt, as bad as he was, and he was lousy, he didn't give the equivalent of $6 billion to the Empire of Japan and Tojo prior to us being attacked, you idiot. Good God. Where are the Democrats? Li- Where's Hakeem Jeffries? Hakeem? Hakeem, where are you? You're visiting with your uncle? What's his uncle's name again? I forget. Doesn't matter. It's all in the book. Hakeem. Uncle Jeffries, I guess. I don't know. But there he is with his uncle, I'm sure. Celebrating. His uncle, the Jew-hating, America-hating Uncle Jeffries. Who, Hakeem Jeffries, when he was really smart, was in college, defended to the hilt. Where is Hakeem today? Nobody knows. Is he condemning any of this? Of course not. He's from New York. Well, where is he? Nowhere. Where are all the Democrats in Congress from New York City today? Where are they? Where's that fat slob, Jerome, what is his name? Jerry Nadler. You know, he even got that belt to reduce his weight. Well, that worked, didn't it? No, it didn't. Just like Christie, holy mackerel. Where are they? Where's Aach, AOC? Where's Bowman? They're nowhere. They have a problem. They hate America. You attack America. And remember our friend Omar. Remember her, Mr. Producer? You know, they did that thing on 9-11. Wasn't she the one who said that? Some people did something on 9-11. That's right, you a-hole. They certainly did. And she's a member of Congress. You'd be respectful to members of Congress. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? 
This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. I'm going to read you something. I'm going to read you something from the epilogue. My book that's going to be released literally in eight days. The Democrat Party Hates America. And this is a quote that I mentioned to you before from Neil Gorsuch, Associate Supreme Court Justice. In May of 2023 of this year in his concurring opinion in Arizona versus Mayorkas. This relates to what's going on all over this country today, but I want to talk about it in relation to New Mexico and the fascist dictator in that state. Since March 2020, we have experienced the greatest intrusion on civil liberties in the peacetime history of this country. It's a Supreme Court justice. Executive officials across the country issued emergency decrees on a breathtaking scale. Governors and local leaders imposed lockdown orders, forcing people to remain in their homes. They shuttered businesses and schools, public and private. They closed churches, even as they allowed casinos and other favorite businesses to carry on. They threatened violators, not just with civil penalties, but with criminal sanctions, too. They surveilled church parking lots, recorded license plates, and issued notices warning that attendance at even outdoor services, satisfying all state social distancing and hygiene requirements, could amount to criminal conduct. Federal executive officials entered the act, too. They deployed a public health agency to regulate landlord-tenant relations nationwide. They used a workplace safety agency to issue a vaccination mandate for most working Americans. They threatened to fire non-compliant employees and warned that service members who refused to vaccinate might face dishonorable discharge and confinement. And along the way, it seems federal officials may have pressured social media companies to censor information about pandemic policies with which they've disagreed. We now have a federal court that said so and an appellate court that said so. The concentration of power in the hands of so few may be efficient and sometimes popular, but it does not tend toward sound government. However wise one person or his advisors may be, that is no substitute for the wisdom of the whole of the American people. They can be tapped in the legislative process. Decisions made by a few often yield unintended consequences. They may be avoided when more are consulted. Autocrats have always suffered these defects. You sure have. And that's why we are an autocracy. 
more an autocracy than we are a republic. And I write in chapter one, inevitably the Democrat Party's infinite cultural, economic, and political interventions. Always in the name of the people and some virtuous and worthy cause. Lead to the steady decline of liberty. And the steady rise of totalitarianism. And the exploitation of the people. Fewer and fewer masterminds. With an ever-increasing army of bureaucrats and enforcers. Reign over the citizenry and decide what is and is not good for them. The abuses of power are limitless, as are the justifications. And slowly but surely, the people get used to it, even vote for it, until one day its grip is too tight, then it's too late. In this and virtually all else it does, the Democrat Party's loathing of America is boundless. Now, I want you to listen to this Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham of New Mexico, who simply issued a directive, a fiat, as if she's Mussolini, or any other of the great totalitarians of our time and past times. It's an emergency, just like the pandemic. It's an emergency. So we are going to suspend, in fact, we're going to outlaw concealed carry permits and the concealed carry of weapons until the coast is clear. We'll start with 30 days. Does a governor have the power to suspend any part of the Federal Bill of Rights? The Bill of Rights are between you and your government. That is, They stand between you and your government. They are to protect you from the government. So when a Mussolini wannabe, the governor of New Mexico says, hey, I'm going to suspend the Second Amendment. I'm going to suspend the Bill of Rights. You go, well, which part of it? Oh, don't worry. It's just the guns. Failed Democrat governors, failed Democrat mayors, Failed Democrat legislatures, they undermine law enforcement, they institute policies where people go in the front door and out the back, they put their phony judges in place who rubber stamp what the defense counsel wants in these criminal cases. So you get all this crime and they blame an inanimate object. I can assure you that in the vast, vast majority of cases where people are killing people, it's not with legal weapons. And the irony of it all, that the president's own son acquires a weapon illegally. And the Department of Injustice under the mob lawyer, Meritless Garland, did everything he could to slip a curveball by the judge in Wilmington, but she wouldn't have any of it. But they tried. Here she is, Governor Grisham. In a town hall Friday, cut four, go. All the examples you cited are crimes. Kids shooting at other kids, shooting from cars. So what's the value of the civil order? 
why not just do better law enforcement? Both. The value of the order is, is that I'm, it gives me three things. One, it says it's a statewide issue and it's a message to everyone to start leveraging your resources and arresting people. Two, the jurisdictions come at this, including with the DOJ restrictions, differently without the leveraging and the additional resources, arresting, and where do they go? We've got to make sure that everyone is bumping up their services. It's a message to the uh, Metropolitan Detention Center. It's a message to the Can HMO. I stop for now? What the hell is she talking about, Mr. Producer? The hell is this woman talking about? What did they do? I'll go to the uh, Joe Biden school of uh, mealy mouth. Go ahead. Treatment. We have been sort of stalled out to your point. This order basically says stop stalling out. And to your point, just arrest everyone. Well, I also have to have the ability. I can't arrest everyone. There are literally too many people. To You're not arrest. arresting everyone. How about arrest 10 percent? How's that? And not only arrest them, but actually put them in jail. Wouldn't that be cool? We have this epidemic now because of you Democrats. You've destroyed local law enforcement. You make it impossible for cops to do their jobs. You expose them to lawsuits and suspension and and all the rest of it. Because, of course, there's that systematic racism going on, as we all know. Look what's going on in Philadelphia and New York. Look, look what's going on in Chicago. The idiots in Chicago, look what they elect for mayor. They elect a guy who's, uh, who's defending criminals. That's why anybody who can is getting the hell out of these cities. Anybody who can is getting the hell out. Even the rich liberals are leaving. Even the rich liberals are trying to get the hell out. Now, they're not going to change their policies. You know, they'll go to Florida and vote, vote stupid. They'll go to Tennessee and vote stupid. They'll go to Texas and vote stupid. But they don't care. Hypocrisy is the coin of the realm. Go ahead. Would allow us, huh? someone got a concealed carry permit in Albuquerque walking down a public street, they're not going to get arrested. I can make the point that they, maybe they should be. Ah, maybe they should be. So if you're carrying a weapon legally in Albuquerque, this governor would arrest you. I'm sure she had a blast during the pandemic, Mr. Producer, aren't you? They can't arrest everybody, but if you don't have a mask, we can arrest you. If you're going to church, we'll arrest you. If you're involved in some kind of outdoor activities, we can arrest them too. Maybe your restaurant that's open because you don't want to go broke. You have all your money and ah, we'll arrest you too. I remember when it was righteous to go out of business. I remember when it was righteous. But now, you know, masks don't work. It doesn't matter. I want you to listen to this fascist. Go ahead. I'm willing to do anything and everything. You don't have the power to do anything and everything. But what she does have the power to do, she's not willing to do. Because she's a crappy left-wing Democrat. And what they won't do is protect the population the old-fashioned way. Take the uh, criminals off the street, throw them in jail for as long as you damn well can. That might work. 
Now, the sheriff of the largest county in New Mexico says, well, that's great, but I'm not enforcing that law. It violates the Constitution. The mayor of Albuquerque, these are all Democrats, says, "Uh, hello, we don't have the power to do that, so I'm not recognizing your order. The DA in Albuquerque, another elected Democrat, has said, "Uh, uh, we can't prosecute for this. You even have Marxists in Congress who are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're kind of showing way too much ankle there, lady. I don't think we should be doing this because it'll be stricken. Certainly by the time it gets to the Supreme Court, we have at least three Supreme Court decisions that hold this unconstitutional. And by the way, that's another practice of the Democrats. Joe Biden's told by the Supreme Court, you don't have the power. You don't have the power when it comes to student loans to give up hundreds of billions of dollars that are owed to the taxpayers. Congress has to do that. So he does it anyway. Well, I have this other method of use. All the, uh, you know, the Politburo thinks they're very cute, but they go around the Supreme Court. They only follow court decisions they like. It's like the resegregation activities that are taking place in this country. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, you name it, back in the 20s and 30s, anti-Semites ruled those schools, so they prevented Jews from getting into those schools because the Jews would have been admitted at a higher rate than their population. Now it's the Asians. Can't have all these Asians coming into our school. What about everybody else? And this is what happens when you think groupism and not individualism. The Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. You know the right-wingers on the court? You know them? The white racists on the court? Clarence Thomas isn't white. Doesn't matter. He's part of the white-dominant society, so he's got to be a white racist, don't you know? And so, they rule, six to three, you can't segregate like that. You can't discriminate like that, have it. Should know better than that, have it. And so they rule, so Biden, he mumbles some stupid thing, and then of course, all the PhDs and the geniuses, the professors and the administrators, they all say, well, we have a way around this. We'll, we'll, we got a fix for this. We segregated 100 years ago, and we're going to segregate again. Now, I know, I just want to remind you, we are eight days away from September 19th. And that is the release of the Democrat Party Hates America. It's the most important book I've ever written. It's the longest book I've ever written. It is the most brutal takedown of the Democrat Party. It's got facts. It's got enormous amount of research. I've done it all myself. And yet it reads very smoothly. It's in plain English, page to page, chapter to chapter. You will learn things about the Democrat Party you never knew. Now, we think we know it all, but we don't. You'll see that Franklin Roosevelt was not only an anti-Semite, he was a bigot. Oh, I know. Doris Kern, what is her name? Whatever the hell her name is. She'd be very upset at me now. 
all the docu-crap that they put out there promoting the great FDR, the icon of the left. They really love FDR. Why? Because he blew out the Constitution and our economic system. That's why. Their former hero was, you know, Wilson. Certainly, if not the biggest, one of the biggest racists to ever be in the Oval Office. Joe Biden, early Joe, you know, he's a chameleon. But early Joe Biden, he was quite the racist and segregationist. Didn't want to send his kids to a jungle, a.k.a. a black school. That's all been forgiven. Democrat Party, the party of slavery, all's been forgiven. Pulling down monuments, destroying papers and books. Attacking the founders, attacking the Constitution and the Declaration. But there's, there's the Democrat Party behind it all. Behind it all. All of it. Their name's not whitewashed. Their headquarters isn't scorned. Oh, they're Democrats, you know. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Speaker of House Kevin McCarthy obviously has announced that the House will open a impeachment inquiry. And before I play what he said, and he's asked to be on the program, and he will be in about an hour and a half, I want to tell you what I just posted. The Ukrainian prosecutor who was fired as a direct result of Joe Biden threatening to withhold $1 billion in U.S. aid has specifically stated he was investigating Burisma, the corrupt company that Hunter Biden was serving on. Joe obstructed that investigation. According to Ken Buck and his new friends in the Democrat Party media, he's a Republican from Colorado, this is not evidence of anything. Joe Biden spoke to an untold number of Hunter Biden's foreign clients, including top officials with ties to the Communist Party regime in China. But this, according to Ken Buck and his new friends in the Democrat Party media, is not evidence of anything. Hunter took an untold number of trips with Joe on Air Force Two, where he met with numerous foreign officials in countries and with governments in which Hunter was doing business or wanted to do business. According to Ken Buck and his new friends in the Democrat Party, so what? Joe Biden knew, as a matter of fact, that Hunter was representing officially or even unofficially numerous foreign businesses. That's more than enough. Under the very broad language of FARA, by the way, where you're supposed to register as an agent, that's more than enough to be required to register under FARA. Therefore, Joe Biden assisted his son in violating FARA which does not require payment of any kind. It is not a specific intent crime. He's a co-conspirator. In other words, either you do it or you don't. It's a registration requirement. Joe Biden's staff and Hunter's business associates were in constant contact. I guess they were just buddies. And there's a ton more. Of course, for impeachment purposes, you do not require evidence of a crime under the criminal code. Ken Buck might not know this, but there was no federal criminal code when the Constitution was ratified, nor is there a requirement of the kind of evidence required to convict in a courtroom or beyond a reasonable doubt standard. But let's be clear, the list of Joe, 
excuse me, the list of Joe Biden impeachment issues that I just quickly assembled here is far, far more compelling than any information that was brought against Donald Trump. He neither blackmailed the president of Ukraine. Zelensky said he was not blackmailed. Biden did on tape. Nor did he commit high crimes or misdemeanors on January 6th when there was no House inquiry. Just a railroad job by the House Democrats with support from a mere 10 Republicans. A quick vote followed by a Stalinist trial in the Senate while Trump was a private citizen in which Trump was found innocent. Now, as for Kevin McCarthy not taking a vote of the House to initiate an impeachment inquiry, Nancy Pelosi set the precedent for this. The sword cuts both ways. And in this case, it certainly should. As an aside, Matt Gates is whining all the time, this time that McCarthy was too slow to act or whatever. Actually, his beef is with Jim Jordan, James Comer, Jason Smith, the three investigative committee chairmen who specifically said they need time to build a preliminary case before an impeachment inquiry. So I don't know why we're shooting each other at this point. Plow forward with the impeachment inquiry. And on my show Sunday on Fox, I asked Jim Jordan specifically if there would be an impeachment inquiry, and he said yes, he felt this month. I asked him if there would be a vote, he said, or if he had a majority, if he had enough for the vote, he said he thought they did. So McCarthy decided to do a a, uh, Pelosi. And that's good. Because it's the only way to stop the Democrats. The only way. You do to them what they do to you. Now, there's a piece by Bill McGurn in the Wall Street Journal. He's probably the last remaining. Maybe there's another one. Serious editorial writers there. He says, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says impeachment should be rare because normalizing impeachment isn't good for the country's right. But House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is calling for an impeachment inquiry which he says is a natural step forward based on evidence that has been uncovered by the House Committee investigating oversight, judiciary, and ways and means. This includes learning that Joe Biden lied during the 2020 debates when he categorically denied Hunter was paid millions from China and said the laptop was Russian disinformation and that the then Vice President had dinner. And I had not read this before I wrote my piece, but it doesn't matter. The evidence is obvious to everybody. And that the then vice president had dinners with his son's business partners and spoke to them on speakerphone when Hunter called. And that his two internal IRS agents have testified the Justice Department sandbagged an IRS investigation. And that a Biden staffer emailed Hunter, business associate Eric Schwerin, confirming that the vice president had signed off on talking points Mr. Schwerin had supplied about Burisma. All this from a man who claims he knew nothing about his son's business. Folks, any one of those or any one of the issues I mentioned is enough for an impeachment inquiry based on the standardless attack on Trump in the first impeachment, but even based on more. So when I hear these rhinos, like Karl Rove and his buddies, or when I hear the Republicans in the Senate who are lazy and useless, Or when I hear this guy, Ken Buck, I scratch my head and say, what, are you all stupid? What's with you? With three House committees already investigating, an impeachment inquiry might appear superfluous. But there are practical advantages 
to name one, would enhance the power of House subpoenas. Congressional oversight must be tethered to a legislative purpose, and that includes the subpoenas for information such as the tax and bank records House investigators are asking for, and they've been blocked. By contrast, when a subpoena is part of an impeachment inquiry, Congress is acting at the apex of its power and its ability to compel witness testimony and demand documents. An impeachment inquiry doesn't require a legislative purpose because it's in the damn Constitution, which gives its subpoenas more force in the courts. It also gives the House more negotiating leverage with, say, justice and the IRS. If done judiciously, an impeachment inquiry would be a roadblock excuse me, would be a road back from the way Nancy Pelosi stacked every procedural deck and cut every congressional corner to get Donald Trump. Pelosi announced the first Trump impeachment inquiry all by herself, holding a vote after it was already underway, and then proceeded with closed-door testimony and limits on defense witnesses. In the second impeachment, she rushed to vote on impeachment without hearings or an opportunity for the president to present a defense. And what he doesn't say here is that the Senate had a rump Stalinist trial to railroad Trump while he was a private citizen. And this reporter on CNN, what is her name? Dana something or other. Is it Lash? Is that it? Bash, I apologize. Dana Bash, she says, do you impeach a president? Do you you impeach a president for the acts of vice president? So now the the lawyers for the White House are feeding CNN and the usual parrots over there repeating what they hear. Can, that, can you actually do that? Can you, can you impeach President? Yes. Fifty years ago, at a press conference in Orlando, Richard Nixon told a television audience the American people have to know whether or not their president is a crook. Mr. Biden's case, they also deserve to know whether the Justice Department has been compromised. By month's end, Republicans will decide whether an impeachment inquiry is the only way they'll get these answers. Well, actually, it was decided, and correctly so, today by McCarthy. And I don't know why this guy, Gates, is chewing on McCarthy's heels over this, but I don't much care. He's chewing on somebody's heels all the time. I'm not even talking about the budget here. Now we're talking about an impeachment inquiry here. Now, here's McCarthy today at a news conference, not to be confused with McConnell, who's staring at the ceiling in the building over there at the Senate. McCarthy actually can speak. Cut one, go. You know, in the months that we were gone, in the weeks, House Republicans have uncovered serious and credible allegations into President Biden's conduct. Taken together, these allegations paint a picture of a culture of corruption. Now, here's what we know so far. Through our investigations, we have found that President Biden did lie to the American people about his own knowledge of his family's foreign business dealings. Eyewitnesses have testified that the president joined on multiple phone calls and had multiple interactions. Dinners resulted in cars and millions of dollars into his son's and his son's business partners. We know that bank records show that nearly $20 million in payments were directed to the Biden family members and associates through various shale companies. 
The Treasury Department alone has more than 150 transactions involving the Biden family and other business associates that were flagged as suspicious activity by U.S. banks. Even a trusted FBI informant has alleged a bribe to the Biden family. Biden used his official office to coordinate with Hunter Biden's business partners about Hunter's role in Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company. Finally, despite these serious allegations, it appears that the president's family has been offered special treatment by Biden's own administration. Treatment that not otherwise would have received if they were not related to the president. These are allegations of abuse of power, obstruction, and corruption. And they warrant further investigation by the House of Representatives. Now, I can understand why Democrats reject this. Because they hate our country. And they want power for themselves. So they're not to be taken seriously. They're a dangerous group of reprobates, miscreants, and malcontents. But I cannot understand a single Republican who would say, no, 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 there's not enough information there. Whether it's the Hunter Biden deal, which was really intended to protect Joe Biden, even the current likely, they say, indictment on gun charges, again, as I've explained from day one, intended to protect this president from any tax issues or other related issues. The cover up by the mob boss, the so-called attorney general of the United States. The IRS whistleblower testimony about uh, obstruction into their investigations coming out of the Department of Justice. There's just a ton of information here. Tons. And I'm afraid Mr. Buck and others don't understand how the Constitution works. The Constitution came before the criminal statutes. High crimes and misdemeanors meant when they adopted, when they drafted, adopted and ratified the Constitution... They meant very severe acts, and there's a lot of history behind this. There's a lot of contemporaneous notes that were taken at the time. That is, major offenses of a public kind, of a public trust kind, against the United States and the people of the United States. By misdemeanors, they didn't mean jaywalking. There were no federal jaywalking laws, but they didn't mean jaywalking, a misdemeanor, or parading on public property. By high crimes, they didn't mean committing an act of murder, robbery. And they left it to the common sense and they hoped the virtue of members of the House of Representatives to come up with their own application based on the conduct of the president. It's not a grab bag of anything you want and everything you think, but that's exactly how Pelosi used it. That's not how the Republicans are using it. They have painstakingly used subpoenas, witnesses, evidence, bank records, to pull together an overwhelming case of potential high crimes and misdemeanors against Joe Biden. And they want to be so careful about it They are conducting a real inquiry where there will be hearings, where there will be testimony and all the rest, which they never did for Trump. Not in the first impeachment and certainly not in the second impeachment.
So the Biden administration has given $6 billion to the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran. $6 billion. But don't worry, they tell us, because they're liars. There are strings attached. What strings attached? How do you have strings attached to a regime like this? This is what they tell us all the time. They're liars. But don't worry, there's strings attached. They can only use it for humanitarian purposes. And we all know that regime is all about humanitarian purposes. Here's Lester Holt, NBC News, with, uh, who, who are we with? Iranian President Rossi. He's a mass murderer. He's a genocidal maniac. Cut 10, go. Do you believe you have a right to use that money in any way that you see fit? This money belongs to the Islamic Republic of Iran, and naturally, we will decide, the Islamic Republic of Iran will decide to, sp- to spend it wherever uh, we need it. How to spend our money, of course, it is under the authority of the Islamic Republic Here's of Iran. what he's really thinking to himself when he says this. You stupid Americans. We are going to use these $6 billion to destroy you. To build new illegal weapons. To put them on the drone technology that we stole from you. $6 billion. We spend as we wish. Now they define humanitarian as killing us. The Biden administration has an enormous amount of blood on its hand, hands, crime on its hands. I want to ask Lester Holt a question. Why won't you go down to the border with your elaborate investigative staff and show us the women who are being raped and brutalized? Show us the conditions under which tens of thousands of little kids are being are being stored. Show us what's going on with the kidnappers and the drug kingpins and the gangsters. The southern border of the United States is now the most dangerous border of any border in the world. Almost 700 people have been murdered on the southern border. You aware of this? Just came out today. It's the most dangerous border in the world. Now, how many women have been raped? We don't know. How many children have been raped? We don't know. How many been children? How many children have been sold into slavery? We don't know. How many women have been sold into sex slavery? We don't know. Now, the Biden administration says it's tracking everybody. Now, of the people who come in, who are actually given court dates, these are administrative judges, not full-fledged judges, who they're supposed to be keeping track of, Mr. Producer, in America, they can't find 20% of them. What's 20% of untold millions? Millions. We've almost now had six million illegal aliens come into this country in two and a half years. Six million. Where are they all? They're everywhere. 
You see them. I see them. The idiot mayor and the idiot governor of New York, they see them. The idiot mayor in Chicago, he sees them. The idiot governor in, in, uh, in Illinois, well, he doesn't care. You know, there's always some Caribbean island they can go to. He and the missus. It's changed California. It's changed New Mexico. It's changed Arizona. It's changed Nevada. It's changed Georgia. It's changed Virginia. But the, the crowning achievement, they hope, is to change Texas. That's why Biden wants to keep all illegal immigrants in Texas. Because they have children who become citizens. They can vote. And then Texas, for the most part, turns blue. Game over. Republicans can never win. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. I imagine that you're really frustrated now. You're sitting there and you're listening. And the Speaker of the House says he wants an impeachment inquiry. This is something you and I have been calling for now for several months, actually. And we've said, when will the House Republicans do something? Do something about this corrupt president. So you're hearing from the left-wing media that there's no evidence that Joe Biden took any money, regurgitating what the Democrat Party says. And I've written about the state-run party, the Democrat Party, and the state-run media, and I want to thank some of my friends in this business and on TV for regurgitating it. Don't worry, you don't have to put a footnote and tell, tell anybody where you read it from. It's okay. I got it from Raymond Arone, a brilliant philosopher and journalist from France, I was cited in at least three of my books, and you can find that in my endnotes. I don't expect the same from people who don't do their homework. But that's a separate issue. So when you hear people like Matt Gates, I'm putting the budget aside. We're going to have Chris Roy on here. We're going to have a good talk about the budget, uh, Chip Roy. But when you hear Matt Gates going on about that this is a diversion by the speaker, I've had about enough of that. I am so pissed off, you have no idea. That these Republicans, even so-called conservatives, can't coalesce around an impeachment inquiry? That is overdue? Are you kidding me? I don't know what their agenda is. It's not a conservative agenda. That's number one. Number two, I am sick and tired of hearing people like Ken Buck and others say, there's no evidence of an impeachable offense. There's no evidence that Joe Biden took any money. The Democrat Party is saying this. The media is saying this. That's not the test for impeachment. And I would encourage James Comer. I want to encourage my dear friend Jim Jordan. I want to encourage, what the other guy's name? Smith of House Ways and Means Committee. You need to broaden what you're looking into here. Yes. Continue to look into what you are, financial crimes, profiteering, and so forth. But impeachment is broader than that, America. And here's where I want to provide you with information. Here's where I want to educate these members of Congress. The media are liars, and they know it, but we'll educate them along the way, too. And Mr. Buck. And Mr. Buck. There have been great books written about impeachment. Impeachment. First one would be the Federalist Papers. 
Madison's notes, that's pretty good. But impeachment goes back. Impeachment goes back to the, to the British. It goes back to the uh, Parliament versus the King. It goes back to a significant period of time. And this was argued, it was debated at the Constitutional Convention. Now, they never came up with a specific definition of high crimes and misdemeanors. But they certainly didn't mean solely and only crimes committed under the criminal code. There was no criminal code. They just formed the government. And so we're having an entire national debate on idiocy. And it's intentional. The state-run party, the Democrat Party, with the state-run media, pushing a narrative with the help of Quislings in the Republican Party. First, some current history, American history. Donald Trump was wrongly impeached, and he was impeached twice, one on Ukraine, one on January 6th. Nobody said, where's the evidence? The evidence of what? But there certainly wasn't any money involved. There certainly, wasn't, there certainly wasn't any violation of the criminal code. They specifically impeached him on insurrection and sedition. One count. That was it. Rammed it through. Rammed it through. The Senate couldn't muster the votes to convict him. So he was adjudicated innocent. But they still accuse him of it. But nonetheless, not my point. Bill Clinton, he was impeached. And the impeachment surrounded the issues of lying under oath and obstruction of justice. Andrew Johnson was impeached. Virtually every one of those 11 articles was based on the Tenure of Office Act. I don't have enough time tonight to get into this. Because that was an unconstitutional law. But that's beside the point. So you actually have Andrew Johnson impeached on trumped-up charges. Bill Clinton was impeached for lying under oath and obstructing justice. Donald Trump was impeached twice on trumped-up charges. So where's the evidence, they say? Where's the evidence that Joe Biden got one penny? I even heard this on Fox and Friends today. Where's the evidence that he got one penny? Penny. There doesn't have to be any evidence that he got one penny. If he opened the door to his son having access to foreign governments, to foreign corporations, from which his son and son alone made 20, 30, 40 million dollars. That is an impeachable offense. If he assisted his son in making those connections, and his son did not register under FARA, then actually he's a co-conspirator in that. Well, how did he know? It doesn't matter. That is an impeachable offense. When he violates our immigration laws, when he just wipes clean 700,000 cases for adjudication, when he keeps the border open, so fentanyl's coming into the country, so that murder that they just caught in Pennsylvania comes into the country, so God knows who's coming into the country, creating mayhem and anarchy, in our cities and in our states, and certainly on the border, that is an impeachable offense. We're not talking about mere policy disputes. We're talking about a real impact on the nation, on the people of this country. 
Now, how do I know this? Because unlike everybody else who's commented on this on TV and radio, I've studied it. Here, I'll give you, I'll give you a short lesson on this from the Congressional Research Service. Can't read it all. The debates at the Constitutional Convention over what behavior should be subject to impeachment focus mainly on the president. In discussing whether the president should be removable by impeachment, Governor Morris argued that the president should be removable through the impeachable process, noting concern that the president might, quote, be bribed by a greater interest to betray his trust. And pointed to the example of Charles II receiving a bribe from Louis XIV. The adoption of high crimes and misdemeanor standard during the Constitutional Convention reveals that the framers did not envision impeachment as a proper remedy for simple policy disagreements with the president. During the debate, the framers rejected a proposal to include, in addition to treason and bribery, maladministration as an impeachable offense, which would have presumably incorporated a broad range of common law offenses. Although maladministration was a ground for impeachment in many state constitutions at the time of the Constitution's drafting, the framers instead adopted the term high crimes and misdemeanors from English practice. James Madison objected to including maladministration as grounds for impeachment because such a vague standard would be, quote, equivalent to a tenure during the pleasure of the Senate, unquote. I agree with that, but that's not what we're talking about. The convention voted to include high crimes and misdemeanors instead. Arguably, the framers' rejection of such a broad term supports the view that congressional disagreement with the president's policy goals is not sufficient grounds for impeachment. Fair enough. Of particular importance to the understanding of high crimes and misdemeanors to the framers was a roughly contemporaneous British impeachment proceeding of Warren Hastings. I'm not going to get into that in great detail. While evidence of precisely what conduct the framers and ratifiers of the Constitution considered to constitute high crimes and misdemeanors is relatively sparse, the evidence available indicates that they considered impeachment to be an essential tool to hold government officers accountable for political crimes or offenses against the state. James Madison considered it indispensable, I'm quoting him, indispensable that some provision be made for defending the community against incapacity, negligence, or perfidy of the chief executive. Boy, that sure fits. As the president might, quote, pervert his administration into a scheme of peculation or oppression, or betray his trust to foreign powers. Betray his trust to foreign powers. Alexander Hamilton in explaining the Constitution's impeachment provisions, described impeachable offenses as arising from, quote, the misconduct of public men, or in other words, this is him, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. Such offenses were political, he said, as they relate chiefly to injuries done immediately to the society itself. Where's the evidence that Biden took money? Who cares? That's not the test. These political offenses could take innumerable forms and simply could not be neatly delineated at the time. At the North Carolina Ratifying Convention, James Iredell, later to serve as Associate Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, noted the difficulty in defining what constitutes an impeachable offense beyond causing injury to the government. For him, impeachment was, quote, calculated to bring offenders to punishment, 
for a crime which is not easy to describe, but which everyone must be convinced is a high crime and misdemeanor against the government. The occasion for its exercise will arise from acts of great injury to the community. Thought the president would be impeachable for receiving a bribe, of course, or, quote, acting from some corrupt motive or other, but not merely for one of judgment, for some corrupt motive. Similarly, Samuel Johnson, then the governor of North Carolina and later the state's first senator, thought impeachment was reserved for great misdemeanors against the public. These are offenses against the public that they were concerned about. At the Virginia ratifying convention, a number of individuals claimed that impeachable offenses were not limited to indictable crimes. For example, James Madison himself argued that were the president to assemble a minority of states in order to ratify a treaty at the expense of the other states, this would constitute an impeachable misdemeanor. Hey, Joe Biden is essentially entering into a treaty with Iran. He's not even trying to organize a minority of states. He's doing it on his own in violation of the treaty clause of the Constitution. Oh, Mark, come on. And Virginia Governor Edmund Randolph will become the nation's first attorney general. Noted that impeachment was appropriate for a, quote, willful mistake of the heart, but not for incorrect opinions. In other words, if you're intentionally letting fentanyl into this country, you don't have to actually sign off on people bringing it into the country, but if you're aware that your policies are resulting in 100,000 Americans dying every year, fentanyl coming into the country, that's an impeachable offense. James Wilson, delegate to the Constitutional Convention, from Pennsylvania, by the way, and later a Supreme Court justice delivered talks at the College of Philadelphia in impeachment following the adoption of the federal constitution. He claimed that impeachment was reserved to political crimes and misdemeanors and to political punishments. He argued that in the eyes of the framers, impeachments did not come within the sphere of ordinary jurisprudence, in other words, ordinary criminal law. They are founded on different principles, are governed by different maxims, and are directed to different objects. Thus, for Wilson, the impeachment and removal of individual did not preclude a later trial and punishment for a crime. The great Associate Justice Joseph Story, who's looked to often because he's written so brilliantly about the Constitution. His writings on the Constitution echo the understanding that impeachment applied to political offenses. He noted that impeachment applied to those, quote, offenses committed by men, public men, in violation of their public trust and duties, Duties that are often political. And like Hamilton's story, considered the range of impeachable offenses, quote, so various in their character, so indefinable in their actual involutions, that it is almost impossible to provide systematically for them by positive law. Now, that's what high crimes and misdemeanors is all about. There's ambiguity, but not so much ambiguity that it is unclear that Joe Biden, in his violation of Supreme Court orders, in his violation of immigration practices resulting in the death of Americans, and I could go on and on, should have been impeached a long time ago. So to hear this guy Gates in the oh, this is a distraction, this is a distraction. Read your damn constitution, Mr. Conservative. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. I also want to thank all of the legal analysts who obviously listen to this program and can't get enough of it. Mediocreite, 
media doesn't matter, all the other reprobates out there. What if Hunter Biden is indicted, which he has been? All the talk today. It's good you're here, folks. Hear it from the constitutionalist mouth. You don't need to hear it from all the has-beens and wannabes. Seriously. One of Hunter Biden, he's been indicted now. If he's convicted, would his father pardon him? Wouldn't that destroy him politically? Okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I do want to address this. Because, of course, as usual, the chorus line misses the point. First, eight evenings ago, I was on Hannity. What happened that day is this very same David Weiss, the so-called prosecutor, announced under the Speedy Trial Act, the judge, that they were likely to bring charges likely related to the gun violations by Hunter Biden. Now you're hearing all day long from the legal analysts, oh, look at this. This guy writes all the time in National Review. And what are they saying? What is Chairman Comer saying? What are they all saying? They're saying what I told you eight nights ago. Here it is. September 6th, Hannity Show, cut one, go. First of all, Sean, on this indictment, the ruse is obvious. I think you're close to it, which is indict him on the gun charge. He may actually get off with this diversion, but get off or not. It's the one charge they can bring that if they have a trial, they won't bring in Papa Bear. If he's indicted on a tax issue, if he's indicted on Farah, you can bring Biden in as a co-conspirator. You can bring him in in other ways. You can open up an entire line of questioning involving Joe Biden. On the gun matter, it's very narrow. It's very compartmentalized. So it does not affect Joe Biden directly. So that's the ruse that's taking place here. Wow. Holy mackerel. You know, other than 14 and a half million of you folks through the course of a week, other than you, you know I've said this. If you listen to radio all day and watch TV all day, you wouldn't have known I said this. It's a, wow, really? So all day long, this is what I'm watching and hearing. I'm laughing. I'm literally laughing. They happen to be right. They're only eight days late. That's okay. That's okay. Now we get the latest from the experts, the legal analysts. Can Joe Biden pardon his son? Of course Joe Biden can pardon his son. But if he pardons his son, it will destroy his electoral chances. Do you hear this one all day, Mr. Producer? It'll destroy his electoral chances. No, it won't. Why? Because he can wait till after the election to pardon his son. Why? Because his son's lawyer happens to be one of the best defense lawyers, Abby Lowell. And Abby Lowell's already said the diversion agreement is a deal that sticks. That's number one ground for appeal. Number two, Granny's raised a number of constitutional issues, frivolous or not. They have to be heard. Who are they heard by? They'll be heard by the appellate court. 
That takes a little bit of time. And how much you want to bet, even if Hunter's convicted, well, they're going to stay any sentencing until he gets his appeal heard and adjudicated. So I'm betting there won't be any need for a pardon if Joe Biden is the nominee and is running for president as a Democrat. So it's a stupid question with stupid answers. Just as when I was asked about, oh, what, what this prosecutors are, they, you know, Hunter Biden, they're really, they're really honing in now, Mr. They're really going to get up. They're going to get Joe. I said, no, they're not. Not on this. They might, but not on this. Because this has nothing to do with Joe. Eight days later, Ad nauseum, you hear, oh, we're in over. It's like, okay, I've heard enough. I've, I've heard this already. That's enough already. Here's another point I wanted to raise with you. Now think about this. Don't the Republicans want to run against Joe Biden? Isn't he the easiest candidate to defeat? Look at him, he's a mess can't debate he can't talk he shuffles around he bounces into the walls but even more than that look at his record it truly stinks it's a disaster bidenomics does not work under these circumstances i say joe biden won't get reelected so why are some of the commentators Conservatives, Republicans, others. Why are they so excited that, well, maybe Joe won't, he won't run because David Ignatius. Who? David Ignatius. Who? David Ignatius at the Washington Post, for God's sakes. He says, we got to push Joe out. Joe, look in the mirror, he says. I want to thank you for the grave damage you've done to the nation. From sea to shining sea and beyond. I want to thank you for that, writes Ignatius, whose name should really be obnoxious, but that's okay. But Joe, you got to step aside because you're not going to win. And by the way, take your sidekick with you. Ooh, is David Ignatius a racist? Misogynist? Oh, regardless. David... Ignatius says so, it must be true, and so they regurgitate this all day yesterday. They regurgitate that my attitude is so different from the rest of these people. Go forward with the impeachment inquiry. Expand it to include true high crimes and misdemeanors beyond the enormous evidence of financial abuse. Beyond it. We talked about this yesterday. We talked about what high crimes and misdemeanors meant to the framers of the Constitution. What it meant to various delegates who went to the Constitutional Convention and what they said during their various state conventions, ratification conventions. It doesn't mean, hey, can you show that Joe Biden got one nickel, just one damn penny? You don't have to. You don't have to. As we discussed at length yesterday, an open southern border where people pour across and commit crimes 
where fentanyl and other deadly drugs come across the border and murder, kill our people. And on and on and on, those are the intentional acts, that is the open border, the consequences of which is mass destruction, war on the American citizenry. That's an impeachable offense. Joe Biden defying, circumventing Supreme Court decisions. That's an impeachable offense. And so forth. So you expand your investigation to include what the framers intended as well by high crimes and misdemeanors. You're going to hear all these low IQ frauds on the constipated news network and over at MSLSD going, there's no evidence, not one cent that Joe took a penny. Well, maybe there's a lot of evidence. There's a massive cover-up going on. But it doesn't matter. Just like these handgun charges, they don't matter in terms of our governance. Do they? And so you have your impeachment inquiry. Well, Mark, he'll never be convicted in the Senate. So what? As I explained before, and another backbencher picked up on this, it's okay, look, I'm here to educate. We've had three presidential, three presidents impeached, one twice, and not once was there a financial matter. Not once. Doesn't mean there can't be, but impeachment doesn't follow the criminal code. I mean, there could be a crime committed that is impeachable, no question about that. But that's not the bounds of the impeachment clause. Matter of fact, it's more grievous if you do exactly what Joe Biden's been doing. Destroying separation of powers. Destroying the independence of the Supreme Court. Destroying our immigration laws. Causing widespread crime within the country. Widespread death within the country with fentanyl and other drugs. The direct consequences of his decisions. And these aren't just mere policy differences. The man is part of a revolution, right? And then, of course, when they look into this, they need to look into what the Justice Department's been doing, what the FBI's been doing, and the whole smorgasbord of impeachable offenses. I won't bother telling you you heard it here first and so forth. It doesn't matter. I've just decided... You know, Rush used to tell me how frustrating it was that people would steal his stuff. And so he started, you'll notice, putting sort of a background marker, particular kind of noise on things he would say. And he did it, not because he knew it would work. He did it to try and tell people, you know, figure out your own ideas. Use your own thoughts. Use your own head. I am similarly frustrated. But you know what? I shouldn't be. It's been going on a long, long time. Long, long time. Now, Nancy Pelosi, October 15, 2019. You know, they're making a lot. Even saw one of the legal analysts up there saying, you know, it's interesting. You know, uh, the position of the United States Department of Justice under Trump was... Unless the full house votes on a, on the uh, impeachment inquiry, it's not constitutionally legitimate. Okay, fine. 
the Department of Justice doesn't get to decide for the House of Representatives what's constitutionally legitimate. They have their own power under the Constitution. I'm just saying, nice try, but that's not true. Nancy Pelosi broke that precedent. She broke that tradition. It's not constitutionally compelled, but she broke it because she was in a hurry to to hang Trump from a telephone pole. Now, we know for a matter of fact that that's what she did. Now, later on, she would go ahead and take the vote. But so what? In order to open an impeachment inquiry, she basically issued a fiat. And Kevin McCarthy on this program pointed out yesterday, she set the precedent. And he's right. You have to fight fire with fire. You're going to get burned otherwise. The Republicans play by the rules. They're not even the rules. By phony rules. And the Democrats are there throwing political Molotov cocktails. I'm sick and tired of it. So good for McCarthy. But here's Nancy Pelosi lying through her dentures. Cut three, go. As the distinguished chairman said, uh, there's no requirement that we have a vote. And so we... Just the distinguished chairman. That slob, uh, what's his name? Adam Schiff. He's distinguished. Is it reprobate? Start from the top, please. Go ahead. As the distinguished chairman said, uh, there's no requirement that we have a vote. And so we, at this time, we will not be having a vote. And I'm very pleased with the thoughtfulness of our caucus in terms of being supportive of the path uh, that we are on in terms of fairness. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. By the way, have you noticed, Mr. B, her face is dripping. Her face is dripping. Too many facelifts. And they tie that skin behind their head, you know? It's coming loose. Somebody needs to tighten it up. Like a Boy Scout, they know how to do those knots. 